Chapter 28 Do you know, last year, when I thought I was going to have a child, I'd decided to have it brought up a Catholic? I hadn't thought about religion before. I haven't since. But just at that time, when I was waiting for the birth, I thought, that's one thing I can give her. It doesn't seem to have done me much good, but my child shall have it. Evelyn Waugh, Brideshead Revisited, 1945. A week later, back in Portland, we wake early and I help Babette pack for our California vacation. She fills green plaid luggage with everything five days traveling will require. Sweaters, skirts, blouses, and several wigs preserved inside round Tupperware containers. We catch a taxi down to the train station in northwest Portland, an elegant structure whose tall central tower dominates the industrial district's skyline. Despite thick clouds overhead, ample light flows through immense windows at one end, and my boots echo on white marble. We file onto a covered platform where passenger cars line up behind a sleek locomotive. Babette grips my arm with excitement. Ah, Talgo engine. Oh, these trains are Spanish and very good. The height of comfort, you will see. This is true traveling. On board, our sleeping quarters are indeed luxurious, with a bunk bed, table, and small private bathroom that converts into a shower stall. I stow our bags and gaze outside through glass flecked by mid-December drizzle. After several slight jolts, the train moves forward. We pick up speed and the platform rolls away, steel wheels vibrating under our feet. They shudder into a steady clickety-clack. My professor smiles. Her eyes assume a faraway glint. You must understand, for me, this is the most beautiful sound in the world. I can feel my mother's arms around me again until she is happy at last. To be free and on our way somewhere new, it's a marvelous sensation. I look at her closely. She really was incredible. Your mother, Germaine. Babette nods. A woman to the fullest in every regard. It is her I compare your friend Anakia against. Both possess the true instincts of a snake, but my mother honed her powers and perfected them fully. If Anakia ever develops such skills, well, we should all live in fear. I pick up a folded flyer on the table. That's probably true. Oh, look, here's a schedule of activities. After lunch, there's wine and cheese tasting in the lounge car. They probably don't have any properly molded the way you prefer, but it might still be fun. Babette shrugs absently. Her gaze passes over industrial buildings and intermittent green patches that lurch by outside as we leave the city. After digesting our midday meal, we amble down to an elegant car with a glass ceiling that arches above comfortably upholstered seats. It is thinly filled with passengers who nibble small blocks of cheese on toothpicks and sip wine from long-stemmed glasses. A red-haired man sits near the entry and dabs his fiery mustache with a napkin. He glowers at a smaller fellow across from him, who appears dismayed, and pounds his fist stridently. Absolutely not, sir. Those are the only suitable subjects for conversation on trains by God. Religion and politics. There's no escape, so you might as well get it out of the way. Babette chortles. You are so correct, sir. The red-haired man grins back. We pick seats near the center, and a waiter brings by selections of cheese and wine. Babette reaches for both. I accept only the proffered glass. My professor scowls. Do you think I should spend my days with an infidel who refuses cheese, the finest fruits of God's creation? How low can one descend? I shrug. It makes me ill. Sorry.
She devours a yellow chunk on her small sampler plate and washes it down with red wine. We must be well into southern Oregon by now. Outside, thick woods stretch eastward, and flashes of rocky coast flicker between evergreens on the right. The train rattles along, to and fro, an enormous baby's cradle rocking on the tracks. Behind us, the two men still argue loudly. Babette reaches into her purse and extracts a zippered leather case. She opens it, removing a hardbound book. Did I show you my recent gift from the Canadian nuns? I shake my head. She smiles and holds the black volume out. The rules of St. Benedict. This lays out Benedict's expectations for communal living. Just the thing to inspire brides of Christ like me. Look how they dedicated it on the face of St. Joseph. See what nice things the sisters wrote? <clears throat> I wish you many blessings in your chosen monastic life. Here's another. Love and blessings to you, Elizabeth, as you climb to ever loftier summits. Oh, those women are too much. Are you curious about my convent? Her eyes sparkle. I nod. Babette settles back and bites down on another cheese wedge, this one pale with dark flecks. Crumbs speckle her purple sweater. It is quite impressive. Twelve-foot-high walls surround the grounds. Inside, we live under a regimented system. Strictly scheduled prayers, mealtimes, chores, and so forth. Only Mother Superior leaves to purchase what food cannot be grown in the garden or deal otherwise with the secular world. What about you? I ask. She permits a great deal of latitude, most of your time spent in Portland and everything. My professor clears her throat and reaches for the wine again. <clears throat> Mother Superior and I have a special understanding in that regard. My status as a full-fledged nun is, shall we say, pending. I frown at this. Babette continues. Mother Superior, you see, is in some ways a rather similar creature as myself. We have formed a relationship of sorts. Her past is quite unusual. A French-Canadian, she grew up very religious, always attending Catholic schools. From a young age, she excelled at swimming to the point where Canada's Olympic team showed interest. Such opportunity filled her with absolute joy, and she thanked God for his generous favor. Now, this occurred at a time during the 1960s when people became more aware of chemical means by which athletes might compete at higher levels. For the first time in her life, young Mother Superior faced a thorough medical examination. She appeared perfectly healthy under initial inspection, but eventually doctors asked for the date of her last period. What do you mean, she asked. Your period, they repeated. When did you last bleed? Well, she understood nothing. Sexual education was not emphasized in religious schools, and this poor girl passed through adolescence with no idea menstruation existed. Surprised, the doctors applied various tests and at last made a discovery. Mother Superior's chromosomes were not XX, but XY, that of males. It is a rare genetic anomaly, but on occasions people may develop externally to resemble one sex, while internally the opposite is their biological reality. Despite breasts and a vagina, she possessed no uterus. The women's Olympic team would not accept her. What a shock for her that must have been, I interrupt. Babette swallows another chunk of cheese. Our train jolts slightly around a curve. The belligerent men arguing behind us signal for more wine.
Just imagine a promising athlete having the chance of their lifetime snatched away because of something beyond all control, and furthermore, that they never knew could possibly exist. Well, as you likely guessed, this girl became more religious in her sorrow and eventually entered the order of St. Benedict. Such trauma from early life became an ocean of resentment, and she rules our convent with bitter resolve. You should see her cruelty towards the younger sisters. One nun who prepared food in the kitchen angered her for some reason, so Mother Superior came to supervise and brought me along as sport. She tasted a soup under preparation. Oh no, this is terribly bland. It needs more salt. The dutiful girl added some. What an awful concoction. It needs more. Again, the sister poured additional salt. This continued until her soup tasted nothing so much as the Dead Sea. Then, at dinner, everyone complained that being served such an inedible briny repast. Mother Superior scolded the cook and sent her to bed early with no dinner. The rest of us did the best we could, but also ended our day hungry. Mother Superior seemed unconcerned by this discomfort, and no wonder, for she keeps a small refrigerator in her chambers. I finish the rest of my wine and rise, locating another glass, this time a white. I return and sit down across from Babette. Sweet fluid tips down my throat. This woman sounds like a complete tyrant, I comment. It's no surprise you like her. Babette smiles. <laughs> yes, it's true. I do very much. So, our days are quite regimented. We wake at 5 a.m. for lads, those are morning prayers, take breakfast at 7 while Mother Superior reads from scripture, then go about daily tasks with several more breaks for additional prayers. During this time, communication is quite restricted. We speak only as necessary. The day ends after evening devotions and dinner around 9. Now, physical contact is strictly forbidden, but with one exception. On our way to bed, each nun is permitted a brief embrace with the other sisters as they file out. It is very ritualized. We exchange a quick prayer, though I always make more of this, perhaps a subtle squeeze of their hand. So far, no one has responded. Then, in our cells, we have only a few minutes before the lights turn out. Any electronic devices are against the rules, but I smuggle a portable compact disc player and tiny earphones. They are not easily seen, especially in a darkened chamber. You see, Mother Superior makes regular nocturnal inspections. These rooms have no doors, and periodically she walks down the hallway, lamp in hand, to check and make sure all is well. We must sleep flat on our backs, with both arms on top of the covers. This, of course, reduces temptation for fleshly pleasures, which often strike at late hours. I am always a model of perfection in this regard when her passing light illuminates the chamber. But what Mother Superior cannot see are concealed earphones and the music machine under my pillow. I lie in darkness, but Mozart and Furt Wengler and our friend Awadajan Pratt join me while the other nuns slumber. Oh, such moments are indescribable joy. She takes a small sip of wine and beams, still on her first glass. I look to my right, where rocky crags meet water frothy with whitecaps. The ocean stretches on and on, at last merging into gray clouds. Seagulls circle above the crashing surf, their beady eyes in search of a next meal. 
I shake my head. You understand this sounds like pure torture. That it is. But for me, the most sublime depravity, I cannot expect you would understand. However, she lowers her voice confidentially and bends closer. I have a new scheme. My plan is so ambitious, I hardly dare speak it out loud. The seduction of Mother Superior. Oh, is that all? I ask, nonchalantly. My professor settles back and adjusts the large glasses which slipped forward on her nose. Listen, late one night I will rise, make sure all others are asleep, then walk carefully to the chapel. When Mother Superior makes her next bed check, she will notice my absence. Her first thought should be the lavatory. Next, she might suspect the kitchen, but on her way, observe the chapel door left wide open. There, I will wait, kneeling, a passionate mass of spiritual energy in thrall before the altar. Perhaps she may call in a whisper, but my devout form shall remain still. Mother Superior must approach closely to see what is afoot, and it is then I will make my move. She grins triumphantly. I scratch my forehead. There are problems here. Mother Superior's potential willingness for romance aside, she knows your health is fragile. What if, upon discovering you aren't in the bathroom, she panics and rousts the whole convent? Babette's smile sags. That is true. My plan requires risks. I should have remembered that there is no pleasure in life. You cannot destroy loss. We sit in silence, tracks clicking away and coastal scenery in motion all around us. The argumentative pair behind us now converse with jovial tones as the wine smooths frayed tempers. My professor brushes her mouth with a napkin, eyes downcast. Sorry about criticizing your plans, I offer. It sounds well worth an attempt. Babette sighs. <sighs> what a day. I am still glad you came on this trip, Ross, despite your skill at ruining my dreams. But now I feel tired and must take a nap. Please wake me if I do not get up before dinner. She rises and makes her way toward our sleeper car.